Welcome to the Only One Business Show with me, your host, James Nathan, chatting to some of the UK's leading business professionals, sharing tips, insights, and advice on how to create amazing customer experiences whilst building bigger, better, and more profitable businesses as a result. What can you do in your business today and in the years to come to truly delight your clients? What exceptional experiences can you give them to take away and cherish? How can you delight the most important person in the world? Satisfaction makes you one of many. Delighting clients makes you the only one. And you can't be just one. You have to be the only one. Hello and welcome to the Only One Business Show with me, your host, James Nathan. And in the studio today, I've got a fabulous guest for you who I think you're really going to enjoy. He's one of the UK's leading sales and marketing experts. His fourth book, Digital Selling, debuted at number one on the Amazon charts prior to being published in September 2016, which followed his previous titles, Stickier Marketing, Sales Therapy and Sticky Marketing, all bestsellers. His fifth book, The Myths of the Marketing, will be published in January of next year. A thought leader in his field, his main focus is to address the massive changes that are taking place in the world that is constantly being introduced to new technologies and an evolving World Wide Web. He continually challenges sales and marketing conventions that have become accepted wisdom, but don't necessarily deliver results. He is a highly sought-after consultant and speaker and constantly makes presentations at conferences and events all over the world, as well as being a regular contributor to many business magazines, newspapers, and radio broadcasts. Please welcome Grant LaBoff. Grant, hi, how are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm fantastic, thank you, and thanks so much for taking some time out. I know you're a travelling man at the moment. Where have you been recently? Oh gosh, uh, North America, Middle East, over Europe. Yeah, I'm, I'm always, I'm always on the go. So fabulous, and and the new book coming out in January is fabulous news. For that must have been a lot of hard work. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, you know, it's done now, and uh, looking forward to uh, you know putting it out in the big wide world and seeing uh, seeing the reaction. So, so congratulations for that. I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing that. Where can we get hold of that? Will it be on the major places, I guess. Yeah, be on all the uh, you know all the major bookshops and of course Amazon etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So uh, look out for that in uh, January. Fantastic. And so talking about massive changes in the world that's constantly changing must be uh, keeping you on your toes. What's what's the main thing at the moment that you you're talking about the most? God, that's a great question. Um, I suppose it's just making sense of, of the new world order. Um, okay. So we always talk about the fact that you know that the big the big change in communication is really the fact that we're now living in a time where everybody has a channel. Right. So you know we used to live in a world where it was only the big media conglomerates, be they film companies, TV companies, book publishers, news or outlets and organisations. They were the ones that really controlled the flow of information. Uh, and we absorbed that. And we didn't really have much of a re- right of reply, you know, a few phone-ins on the radio or letters to the editor. Mm-hmm. Um, but we now live in a world with social networks and w- the World Wide Web and smartphone technology where all organizations, businesses have their own media channels through their websites and Facebook pages and Twitter accounts and Instagram accounts, etc. Um, and then every individual as well on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube, et cetera, has their own channel as well. And that just changes the whole nature of relations with business. It changes the whole way communication operates. 
And so it's for businesses, it's making sense of that new world and how best to utilize it in their favor, get in front of customers, deliver for customers and all of those other things that it throws up for them. So it's, it's great to be able to communicate with businesses. When we, I, On this podcast, we've talked a lot about how difficult sometimes it is to get in hold of people or get hold of big businesses. But with all those channels available to us, we can at least contact them. But that must make it extremely difficult for businesses to, to manage all those channels as well as their, you know, their ongoing operation. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 think, I think in life always you know, every change have positive and negative outcomes for people and business, mm-hmm. etc. And so it's always a question of how do you leverage the positive and minimize the negative. Yep. And I suppose for a business, the negative, uh, as you've put it, is there are so many channels into a business today. Do they monitor Twitter? Are they taking personal messages? Are they getting even WhatsApps from customers or Facebook messages or whatever mm-hmm. else? And how do they utilize and handle all those different channels into their business effectively but of course the positive of that is is they can be much closer to their customers understand the market demand and their customers better and therefore deliver something more relevant and more appropriate and more vital mm-hmm. um, so and, and and in that way you know retain their customers uh, in, a, in a in a better way so I, I suppose there are positives and negatives, and it's all about you know leveraging the good and minimising the bad. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, there's some fantastic examples recently of businesses doing a really great job of of certainly handling the social media channels. I think it was Tesco that was having a bit of banter with their with the people who were complaining or, or whatever it might have been, um, which I thought was absolutely fabulous. But the converse of that is businesses who who pay lip service to it, I guess, you know, they say they, they, they respond, but they respond by, by bot or whatever it might be. What are you seeing yep. when you're talking to businesses or you're looking at the businesses you're working with? What, what are the things that some of those businesses are doing very, very well? Well, I think the, one of the biggest challenges for businesses today from a customer delivery point of view is to balance the human with the artificial, if you like. Yep. Um, because where the artificial can help, and you, you just mentioned bots a moment ago, is the immediacy of everything. So, you know, a customer wants to be able to go online and get answers straight away. And it doesn't matter whether that happens to be 10 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday when everybody's at work, mm-hmm. or whether that's three o'clock in the morning on a Sunday when, you know, the majority of us are fast asleep. Yeah. Uh, and, th- and therefore, you know, what chatbots and bot technology and artificial intelligence can help companies do is give an immediate response to those basic questions, those simple things um, that, you know, are repetitive. And I think if any company looks at the questions they're asked, you know, the, the frequently asked things, etc., um, there is repetition there and there are patterns there and they can deliver that. Mm-hmm. But it's complementing that with then the more personal and relevant uh, information uh, when it's needed. And I think it's for companies, it's about balancing that and getting it right. So it's, you know, being able to scale and deliver deliver service uh, on scale, which does require technology, mm-hmm. but also to know when to make that more personal, and then be able to intervene and give that personal experience. And of course, the other thing that is very, very important for companies to be able to do, and I think, you know, it's, it's a challenge, is to be able to do that across all channels so whether that's yeah. a telephone uh, a, a, mo- a mobile 
by way of, uh, you know, a WhatsApp or Facebook message, a website, and be able to tie those up to give the customer a kind of one-dimensional experience, you know, where everything's consistent. Mm-hmm. And, 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 that, and that's a challenge, you know, that that's not an easy thing to, to deliver. No, of course. And, you know, whenever businesses scale, there's always a huge number of issues that come with that, um, particularly from the service and, and the personal side. And you mentioned personalization a bit there. Um, obviously, collecting huge amounts of data is really important to understand the sort of trends of your client base or your customer base. But does that is that becoming more difficult with with the you know the different data acts around the world you know GDPR in Europe all that kind of thing is that making it harder for businesses to personalise? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I, I don't think we've gone that far. I mean, a lot of lip service has been played you know to, to GDPR and other things. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we're that far down the journey yet. So at the moment, I do think there's still plenty of data out there and available for companies to be able to use that data to understand their customers better. Whether that gets tightened up um, over time, uh, we will have to see. Mm-hmm. Although, I, I, I mean, I would imagine it will do. I think that is the direction of travel, although I think it's happening a lot slower um, than, than, you know, it, it might. Uh, the only thing I would say is, is I, I do think that, you know, if, if, you, if you take a slightly binary view, and I know this isn't 100% accurate, but if you take a slightly binary view, you've got the companies out there with, you know, hundreds of thousands or even millions of customers. And I think they've got enough data points within their own service um, to be able to understand their customers, you know, through website visits, through the content that those customers are clicking on. Um, I think there's enough data that, that, that's perfectly acceptable and accessible for them mm-hmm. to be able to use and leverage to start to understand their customer base better and, you know, what's driving them and what isn't. And then for the vast majority of what I call the small and medium sized businesses, who don't have thousands and thousands or hundreds of thousands or possibly millions of customers, um, you know, nothing can replace. I mean, this is true for the biggest as well, but nothing can replace just getting out and talking to your customers. And I I do find it a bit odd sometimes that companies don't just spend a little bit more time just getting out there, especially the business leaders of an organization, and just having conversations with customers because although they might be anecdotal because you might say well a business leader you know how many really good conversations can they have a year 30 or 40 Mm -hmm. that still gives you a tremendous insight and you will see patterns in those conversations and the themes will still reoccurring and you know business business is a contact sport if you if you don't get out there and talk to your customers and really have an innate understanding of them you're never going to deliver the value propositions, the service that that they want. Uh, what a perfect answer! If I could clap online, I would too, Grant. It's um, you, we used to call it service reviews, you know. It, and uh, yeah. I think in in the service in professional services and business services industries, that kind of thing seems to have gone by the wayside. You know, I, I talk to a lot of my clients about, you know, when did you meet your client last? When did you go out and have a coffee with them? When did you take them out for lunch? When did you thank them for the business? Um, and I'm hearing the answers are stretching. You know, it used to be, well, we do that every six months, or we make, you know, we make sure we meet them once a year. Um, but now it's kind of, oh, I'm not sure I should probably do that. And I think that's that's bad business actually, as well as a shame. Yeah, I 100% agree. I, I think, look, all the stuff we've got today, you know, the WhatsApp messages, the Facebook messages, the social media, the content where you can see the links that people are clicking on, the landing pages, the data points 
the research. Mm. All of those things are great. And, and I, I wouldn't negate any of those. You know, all of that's market intelligence. All of that's useful. And, you know, the companies that can make use of that should be. Mm. Um, but it's still, it, it's not instead of going yeah. out and talking to your customers. It's as well as. And I, and I, I do find it odd. Um, that people won't go out and, you know, diarize meetings or go to events where their customers are hanging out yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and and have those chats. You know, there's lots of ways of doing it. And there's efficient ways of doing it. You know, go to some big conferences where, you know, there are three or 400 of your potential customers in the room and just have those conversations, not to sell, just to understand mm-hmm. the market, understand what people are talking about. But I, th- I think there's nothing better um, in terms of research than just getting out and talking to and meeting customers. Well, you, you mentioned relationships very early on in the, in the piece and, and then you talked about balancing the human. Well, you know, you can't build a relationship on a piece of paper or a screen. You can build it by talking to people and meeting people. Um, and if you want to sell to people just for the sake of making a, making a deal, that's one thing. If you want to build a long-term relationship and, and have that connection with the business so that they then refer you, which I guess is the goal, then, uh, then there's no other way to do it. What's, what's challenging the kind of sales and marketing conventions? You talk about um, you know, myths of marketing, and obviously you've got a, a book coming out with that title. But what, what's the, what are the wisdoms that people believe work and really just don't? Yeah, gosh, there's so many of those. It's a great question. (laughs) Um, One of the things that I would say to that is that if you think about marketing communication, Mm -hmm. marketing communications used to be the art of interrupting someone else's audience. Right. So, you know, your, your, your listeners may not have thought of it like that before, but if you just take a step back and you think about the way that you did comms 20 years ago, you might advertise in a magazine because the audience was the correct audience for your business. But of course, that audience belonged to the publisher. It didn't belong to you. And you would pay the publisher X amount of money to momentarily get in front of those eyeballs with your full-page color ad or whatever it was. And whether it was TV or cinema or radio or whatever it was, it, it worked in the same way. And I would argue that even something like direct mail, essentially you were leveraging the Royal Mail's network by way of stamps. So you, you know, obviously you chose by postcode and demography or whatever else, which part mm-hmm. of that network you wanted to interrupt. But nevertheless, that's what you did. So marketing communications very much was the art of interrupting someone else's audience. I think today, one of the things that a lot of business misses is, is twofold. One is in a world of abundance of information, one of the mm-hmm. most precious resources on planet Earth today is attention. So because we live in a world of scarcity of attention, continually interrupting audience is just becoming more and more expensive and more and more of a challenge and less and less effective. I don't want to say it doesn't work at all. I don't think that's correct, but I think it's harder to make an impact. And the second thing is, is that every business and organization today has media channels like a website or a Facebook page or an Instagram account or a YouTube channel, et cetera, et cetera, whichever ones they exploit, depending on you know, who their audience is. And mm. media channels fundamentally don't work by interrupting someone else's audience. Media channels fundamentally work by building an audience and retaining it. Um, you know, if you think right. about The Guardian or The Telegraph, what they do is they build audience and retain it. If you think about the BBC or ITV, they're trying to build an audience and retain it. If you think about Netflix or Amazon Prime, 
They're trying to build an audience and retain it. And so companies today need to think about really who their target market is and building an audience in that target market and retaining it because A, it's cheaper to do. B, it's more cost effective in a world where attention is scarce. And C, it's how media works. And I think a lot of businesses are, are just not there yet. Um, right. And that causes them all sorts of trouble. And when you when you talk about um, you know attention and interrupting, does it does it has it changed in the last five or ten years, or is that is it is is there a difference between web one or wherever we were and and the, and the evolving web? Yeah, I think it's changed. I think it's just become more pronounced. So I I think that I think that you know from the onset of the World Wide Web. Um, as more and more information has gone online, um, you know, buyer journeys are increasingly going online. Uh, buyers are much more proactive rather than reactive now looking for what they want. Um, and I think that, you know, with the onset of 4G, 5G, as it's going to be mm-hmm. soon, you know, become more ubiquitous, uh, you know, better Wi-Fi and broadband in most places, um, you know, things like video and all of those kind of things and those resources are there. So I think more and more, you know, our TV watching is migrating to the web, um, our, our, the way we communicate. If you think in the last five years, I, I almost guarantee that yourself and your listeners are all receiving and making far less phone calls today than they did five years ago, because today we yeah. WhatsApp someone rather than call them. Um, and so... Uh, you know, everything is migrating more and more into an online world. And therefore, the audience that you can build in that world and the attention that you can leverage uh, becomes more and more important for the effectiveness of any business. Smaller businesses find some of this a lot harder than bigger ones, I guess, because they don't have the resources to 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 throw at things. If you were if you were thinking, right, I need to increase the my my um, impact. I need to make sure I've got my channels sorted properly. Um, I'm kind of playing at a few of them because I'm a smaller business. And I'm not quite sure what to do. Where should they focus first? Which are the channels which would be the most effective, but also the easiest for them to do? That's a really good question. So I would give all small businesses out there three really important tips. Um, and, mm-hmm. and these tips, I think if you want to make your communications, your marketing communications effective today, Uh, you really, really need to stick to these tips. So um, tip number one uh, would be to uh, really understand who your target market is. You know, there are too many businesses Mm -hmm. out there spreading themselves way too thin. You know, you know, they've segmented a market where if they added up how many businesses were in that marketplace, let's say there's a million, well, they haven't got the budget to communicate with anything like a million businesses. So all that happens is, And I know what happens. They don't want to slim it down because they're worried about, you know, excluding opportunities. But they're going to exclude opportunities anyway because they don't have the time and budget to hit that many businesses. So they're not going to hit the million. Mm -hmm. So if they've only got the time and budget to really hit 20,000, why not make it a targeted 20,000 rather than, you know, do a scattergun approach and hit random businesses within that million where there's less serendipity, less chance of building awareness Uh, amongst that Mm -hmm. market because it's too wide so the first thing is to really really understand your target market and to and to make your target market small enough uh, commensurate with your time and budget uh, in order to actually build some awareness and get known within that marketplace so that would be number one 
Uh, number mm -hmm. two would be, you know, I've said that you own media channels today. Businesses own media channels, a website, Facebook page, Instagram account. These are media channels. So they have to mm -hmm. think like a media company. And what that means is, is in order to make sure your channels are effective and you need enough content, you have to bulk produce. You know, you, you cannot um, you cannot make one video in what, you know, with a, with a camera crew make a couple of videos and then and then disappear it's not enough mm -hmm. so the thing to do yeah. is hire a camera crew for a day you know prime your staff go to a hotel and make 30 or 40 little one minute videos in a day and then you've got you know if you put out one a week you've got 40 weeks worth of material for example so mm -hmm. so you've got yeah. to bulk produce it's the only cost effective way to do it um so that would be the second thing that i would do and the third thing that I would say to small businesses, and this pains me because businesses, big businesses don't even try to do this. It's only the small businesses that do, is don't do it, don't do it all on your own. Leverage other people. I mean, you know, yeah. I'll give you a really good example, uh, James. You're, you're doing this now. You're interviewing me. Yeah. So, you know, you, you are creating great content, but you don't physically have to sit in your office and write it all because you're asking yeah. me a few questions and hopefully... I'm saying a few things that are useful to your listeners and, and you've interviewed many other great guests who, who also say interesting things. So you're creating mm -hmm. a great series of content and I'm sure you put out your own stuff as well and your own thoughts, but you're also yep. leveraging the thoughts of other people who, are, who you believe will be interesting for your audience. And that is exactly what small businesses need to do, whether they're independent mm -hmm. consultants, industry experts, clients partners suppliers that have interesting things to say to their marketplace whether they get guest yeah. blogs they do interviews guest webinars they need to leverage that those suppliers partners customers etc to create the content mm. because they can't do it all themselves that's um that's a really fantastic point i think I, it's something that i i learned myself very very early on and with with you know with help because you need to ask the people who know what they're doing um and i think one of the nice things about sort of a podcast like this and the ones that are similar is that you get lots of thoughts and you can take the ones that work for you and one of the things that i was was i learned really early on was you know look at your content and look at how you can repurpose that content. What else could you do with it? Instead of, you know, reinventing the wheel every time you want something new, like you mentioned this, well, you know, there is a series of top tips that come out of this. There's a series of best bits. There's a lot of, you know, there's so much that you can do from the content you've already got. Um, but also the other thing I, I, I find, and I, I'm really interested in your view on this, is I started writing blogs, I don't know, 10 years ago. Some of those blogs people read, some of them nobody touched. Um, and some of the ideas were good and some of them were absolutely terrible. But uh, not many people saw some of those original blogs and actually taking them and, and making them, well, doing almost a second edition and pushing them out again gets real reward. Is that a bad idea or is that is that a helpful thing to do? No, I think I think you're absolutely right. You know, we all need a lot of content today because, you know, to fill a media channel takes an awful lot of content to keep it interesting. So as well mm -hmm. as leveraging those partner suppliers, customers, et cetera, that we've already discussed. Repurposing content is 100% right. So, you know, there is no reason why if you write a blog, uh, you can't speak that blog and then you've got a, a little po a mini podcast that you can put out there, you yeah. know, or do a video uh -huh. and then, you know, with some customers or clients and then take that and make that a top tip sheet. 
Uh, and no doubt, you know, the nature of the web, because it's transient, is if you put out a podcast, let's say, um, and it gets seen by certain or heard by a certain amount of people, yeah, there's no doubt that if you put it out again, there'll be a whole new set of people that didn't see it the first time round. So, of course, 100% yeah. the caveat is to make sure it is still relevant. And, of course, you know, some some information is more timeless than other bits of information. So, you know, obviously don't put out stuff that, that that's kind of, you know, lost its purpose and lost its use because of the timescales. But I think there's nothing wrong with repurposing content or even reposting content. So, you know, if you do a video series or a podcast series, there's no reason why every so often you can't say, look, in case you missed it, um, you know, I'm just posting this up for those that may have missed it first time around or whatever. And it will get seen by or heard by another group of audience. So I think you have to, you know, be be careful with that and, and, and do it sensibly. But mm-hmm. I don't think it's any different. You know, I, 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 use the, I use the analogy of a media channel and it's not an analogy. I really believe, you know, if you think about the BBC, the BBC, all the BBC mm-hmm. is, is an infrastructure. It's a set of cables with a license to broadcast. That's what it is. What makes the okay. BBC yep. compelling or not is the programs it makes. So your website, yep. your Facebook yep. page, your Instagram account, your YouTube channel, your LinkedIn uh, page, all of those things are dead space on some very powerful networks and platforms. What makes them interesting is the content that you post on there. So the application is different, mm-hmm. but the con- conceptually, it's exactly the same. And therefore, if you take the BBC, the BBC will make the majority of its output will be new programs. But every so often, it will show a repeat. Mm-hmm. It will show something that was originally on yep. BBC One, they'll put it on BBC Two, or something that was on, you know, at eight o'clock in the evening, they'll, they'll run again at 11 o'clock a few nights later, or a few weeks later. Um, and, you know, some classic series mm-hmm. might have a rerun. And I think it's exactly the same. Mm-hmm. If you've got some content in your collection that you're very, very proud of or you think is particularly pertinent even today, I don't think there's any problem with rerunning that or reposting that within the framework of other new content as well. So in your business, what have you done to improve the service that you've been giving people? How could, what have you done that's, that's helped your clients particularly but also added to the service offering? That's a really good question. So um, I, I've, I've done a few things. I try and create uh, content that my customers can leverage where they have what I call those generic inquiries. So those generic sort of the frequently asked questions, the how-tos that come up time and time again to create tip sheets mm-hmm. and some video education that I can say to my clients, look, Um, I have a lot of customers that have a challenge with this. So there's a bank on my website that you can go and have a look at and it will take you through the process. Because obviously, from my point of view, it's time effective because to keep going through Mm -hmm. the same half an hour uh, with with every single client is obviously a huge cost to me. Um, And, you know, if I'm honest, a little bit dull if you keep having to say the same thing, almost exactly the same every time. Um, but actually frustrating yeah. for a client because, you know, you know, a client's going to go away and need a little bit of assistance with this. And then they have to email me mm-hmm. and say, Grant, are you around? And I say, yes, let's put some time in the diary and then we'll we'll have a meeting or a, or a conference call or whatever. And I'll take them through it. How about just saying to them, here's a link, you know, and it will take you all the way through. Here's the, the videos. And the, and, the, and the platforms and the matrices and the how-tos that you can fill in. If you get stuck, come back to me, but it's all there for you. Mm-hmm. 
And of course, what customers like is it empowers them because they can do it in their own time. So if they want to do it at five o'clock in the morning, uh, they can. If they want to do it at 11 o'clock at night, uh, they can. So um, to make sure, I mean, that doesn't take away from the personal, of course, but as an adjunct to give them certain automated tools and um, bodies of content and reference points that they can go to to support them uh, in their journey as we're putting a, a marketing strategy together uh, and working on that, then um, my clients find that um, you know really interesting. And the other thing is, is just to take the uncertainty out of um, anything in your service. So we know from behavioral models that one of the things that human beings hate the most and can't cope with is uncertainty. Mm-hmm. We know that the one of the things that... Um, turn the London underground around in terms of customer satisfaction was not frequency of trains, wasn't cleanliness of trains. It was the dot matrix display on the platforms because there's nothing worse than getting onto a platform and staring down that black hole of a tunnel and not knowing whether your next train is coming in two minutes or 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And of course, the more, because you don't know, uh, waiting just seems like an eon of time because you, 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 you've got no idea. Mm-hmm. To get onto the platform, see the dot matrix display, and it says six minutes. Even if six minutes is a bit longer than you expected in rush hour, the fact that you know it's six minutes gives you that certainty and that sense of assurance, and, mm-hmm. and it keeps customers happy. Yeah. So what I would say is always make sure you take the uncertainty. So I'll give you an example. Just a silly thing, like someone sends you an email, and my general manager in my office if they send an email for me and I'm not around, will always respond and say, thank you very much, Grant's got your email. Mm-hmm. He's traveling a lot at the moment, but he will get back to you in the next 48 hours. Now, if they just sent an email and it took me 48 hours to respond and they got no idea, did he get it? Has he seen it? Mm-hmm. I haven't heard anything yet. That uncertainty really makes the service level suffer. Yeah. Just having an email that says, yeah, Grant's got it, he's seen it, he's going to reply in the next 48 hours. That reassurance for a customer is everything. So the fact that, okay, they might not get a response for, for 48 hours in and of itself isn't a problem when they know, yeah, he's got it and he's seen it and I, I'm happy that it's being dealt with. Mm-hmm. So I just look at your process and is there anything that you can do to just take the uncertainty out of any aspect of your service? Because that will absolutely increase satisfaction. Fantastic tip. It's, uh, there's nothing worse than waiting for someone to respond. And then yeah. saying to you, well, I didn't get back to you because I didn't have anything to say. Well, ring them up and say, I've got nothing to say. It's very exactly simple. Right. Exactly right. When we were talking about content earlier, you talked about repurposing and resharing. What do you think of sharing other people's content? Yeah, so I think that's very useful and very valuable. You know, people call it curating content. I mm-hmm. think that when you're going to do that, though, um, you should. There are two ways of sharing content. I think one is to kind of press the retweet button or the share button and just let it go, and that's yeah. okay. Um, but I think that you know we call it curating content because if you think about uh, where curation comes from, curation comes from a museum curator who would mm-hmm. take all the artifacts that they have and tell a story. So you know, I took my children a few years ago now to the Imperial War Museum in London when they had a particular display um, and they were about World War One, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I've no doubt there were lots of artifacts that they had back in the store cupboard that we didn't see. But what yeah. the curator of that particular exhibition had done, they'd laid the artifacts out that they did have or they did put on display to tell a story, to tell a narrative that took us on a journey. And both myself and my children that day 
had a really informative and interesting time. They really enjoyed it. Uh, And therefore, what I would say to all of you is if you're going to use other people's content, and I think it's a completely legitimate thing to do, curate it. So in other words, if you're going to retweet something, say to your audience, I I think you should see this and this is why. You know, if you're going to share something, just say, I'm sharing this because of this, because you've got your own narrative and your own story within your company and what you're delivering to your customers. And if you can frame a piece of content within that, then not only are you adding value to your customers through sharing the content, but you're adding value for yourself at the same time because their perception is, oh, this is really, no, I can see why this has been shared rather than a random retweet. And I'm not quite sure even if the headline might be interesting. So I think mm-hmm. absolutely sharing is, is, is a good thing to do and a useful thing to do at times, but I think it should be done in a certain way. I think sometimes it can be done very lazily. Fantastic thoughts there, Grant. There's so many different little tips. It's, it's really, really wonderful of you. Before we leave, though, I'd love you to give us your one big thing, your golden nugget, the one thing that people could do in their business today to make them better for today and better for the years to come. What would that be? Yeah, so my my big tip that I would always say to any company, and it does amaze me how few companies do this, is make sure you're looking at your products and services through your customers' eyes. Because what most companies do, or many companies do, is they say, what do we deliver? What do we produce, you know, products or service-wise? What are we good at? Mm -hmm. What are the benefits for the customer? Now let's go and tell them. And the problem is it always starts with source. If your starting point is yourself, however much you massage those benefits into the customer and you're trying to deliver customer value, it always comes back to source. It always comes back to you. Mm -hmm. So I would always say to any business, start your customer journey by thinking, what are my customers' challenges and issues that they have that they might come to me to solve? And think about it from your customer's point of view and then work back to yourself. Because if you start with your customer in mind, Mm -hmm. you'll be much more customer-centric and you need to look at your products and services through your customer's eyes, not through yours. And if you do that, you'll always be a better business because you'll notice things, certainly the value that you can give and the way that it's delivered that you may not have thought of in any other way. Fantastic. Grant, thank you so, so much. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I hope you really enjoyed this episode of the Only One Business Show and I look forward to sharing your company again very soon. If you'd like to subscribe, please do so wherever you pick up your podcasts and in the meantime, have a great day. Bye for now.